Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Quarter. Quarter is an all-in-one investor relations app that provides frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and more. With Quarter, investors can keep up to date with all their companies while on the move. I personally use it every earnings season so that I can keep up with my portfolio companies while I'm on my commute to the office. They also just released a cool new feature that allows users to search across all transcripts. That means you could search and see how many companies mention terms like inflation or cost pressure or recession or even metaverse, you name it. Uh, and the best part of all, the app's 100% free and it's on both iOS and Android. So go find it on your app store by searching Quarter. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R, no E. That's Quarter, Q-U-A-R-T-R. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is the Chit Chat Money Investing Power Hour. Today is Thursday. What's the date? Anyway, it's uh, 12 o'clock on the Pacific Coast here, uh, 3 o'clock Eastern time. We we do this every Thursday at 3 o'clock Eastern time. I know that's pretty much right in the middle of the workday, so inconvenient for everyone, but we go live on YouTube where people can ask us questions if they so please, or you can listen to this after the fact on the podcast. I think we do it, what, it's three days delayed, typically comes out on Sundays. Sunday Um, morning, yes. And you can also watch the old, um, on YouTube, you can watch it an hour or a day later or a week later. All the old streams will be up there as well. But for anyone that doesn't know, this is uh, basically an hour of riffing on the financial markets. So we can talk about anything. We don't come prepared with anything in particular. Uh, but there's been news out, lots of news this week, actually, kind of a jam-packed week. One in particular, quite a large acquisition this morning. You want to talk about it? Yeah. The Well, I got to say, I'm getting all my information from Twitter because I don't actually own the company. So if anything is wrong, uh, correct us in the comments or let us know. But Adobe is buying Figma for $20 billion. I think it was a mix of cash and stock, but uh, I can check uh, to confirm. And the rumor is that that's around 50 times sales for Figma. So the market is not happy. Adobe's down 17%. And yeah, I mean, I don't know what, what are your thoughts on that when you saw it? Were you scared for all the other software companies we own <laughs> that might still overpay for something? I thought people, I thought we were supposed to get discounts in a, in a bear market, but. Well, you know, I mean, there is some advantage to they can just make it a part of their creative cloud. But so I think they have. And then then it's easier to upsell it. But oh, the synergies. Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. I mean, they could pay more for it than someone who wants to buy it and just let it run on its own. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's... But yeah, it's still a ridiculous price. I think 
Maybe I saw some takes. Some people said that this will be Adobe's Instagram moment where. Well, okay. Instagram. Yeah. It's going to be the best acquisition possibly ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I mean, what would you have, what would you have said when, when Facebook first bought Instagram? Uh, well, that news for, came out today. Yeah, I think Instagram I, as was a, revenue at that point. Yeah, but I would have known that every girl in at my high school was on it. I also would have known social media is a fad, whatever. No, 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 no. I said I would have, you know, like, look, I think at the time, Meta Facebook had a market cap of probably a hundred billion dollars. Or at least you know fifty to a hundred billion. Can't remember exactly, although it's got to be right around there. And they bought Instagram for one billion. I mean, this is a twenty billion dollar acquisition. Pay up for quality. Uh, yeah, fifty times sales. Look here. Here's so what the rumor is. They have what, like four hundred million in sales? Is that what I'm, am I doing the math right? I am seeing fifty. Yeah, I'm seeing the number fifty times sales getting thrown out. Um, Figma so. also wants to leverage Adobe's expertise in 3D video, vector imaging, and fonts to greatly improve product design on the web. Yeah, I, I get. I, I bet they wrote a great press release. I, I, I'm not, you know, that's not shocking. Congrats uh, to all the investment bankers that have been assigned to this job. Congrats to the Figma. The no, number one congrats to the Figma employees. If you know a Figma employee, I mean. You should talk to them about going to Las Vegas or something because that those stock options, I mean, wow, that's going to be some just amazing stuff. Congrats to the venture capitalists. Uh, I saw some of the numbers on there, getting some 30, 40 beggars in a yeah, few there years. Some victory laps made this morning by VCs. Uh, yeah. Deservedly so. Look, you got to trust management. I think that's just the big thing here. Get into a more serious discussion. You got to trust management. Like, dude, the is exceptional. I know. No, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just like, if I saw this deal, I didn't know anything about Adobe's management. Oh. I would be like, oh, geez, like, what are we doing here? I mean, the base rate on 50 times ARR. I mean, the likelihood this deal is bad is high. Just because of the price they're paying. In most acquisitions results in a poor ending. Well, regardless of that, the price they're paying matters. And I think if you don't like, if you haven't vetted management, if you don't trust the team there, whatever you need to get to, like you're going to be really upset here. And I think that's just kind of, it's an example of how you have to trust management. If you're going to be a, you know, buy and hold compound or whatever you want to call it, long-term stockholder of a company, because they're going to make decisions that you disagree with. And yeah, unless you, if you don't trust management that it's just going to, you know, push is going to come to shove and you're likely going to sell. 
Figma was first founded 10 years ago by Dylan Field and Evan Wallace, and the collaborative design platform has become key for many businesses in recent years. Thousands of designers and developers at Microsoft rely on Figma every day to build Office, Windows, and more. It's used so heavily at Microsoft that it has been testing the company's relationship with Adobe, a close partnership that will only get closer now. Yeah. Yeah. I, you get the, 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 yeah. You don't, you know, I'm just, I'm just could, you, <laughs> I don't know. You could have an IQ of 50 and understand it always the sounds too. good initially. Oh, the center. I mean, come on. All come on. acquisitions are great in theory in, in estimates. Rarely. Let me, for the people that, yes, for the people that are optimistic here, well, lest we remember the Afterpay acquisition and the Twitter threads and the blog posts and all the investors talking up the synergies. The ecosystems are colliding. Exactly. We're a two ecosystem, uh, whatever they were saying. It was so galaxy brained. Just remember that. And they paid probably the same multiple, right? I'd say a similar multiple for a larger, slightly larger business. Uh, look at Look at that. I, I'm just so surprised at the price they had to pay here. I mean, it's. I thought this was a bear market. It's probably a testament to the business, to be honest. That means they were probably not struggling at a time when every other business was struggling. I'm guessing. I don't think this company had declining sales. Well, that's true. I bought out 50 times. That's I true. did see, uh, did you read the short report on Latch? Looks kind of interesting. Uh, I liked it. I saved it for later on the old Twitter. Uh, I didn't read it yet. Following the company as, to be honest, a potential long a few, uh, about a year ago, I can understand why it could be a great short candidate because basically everything has gone wrong. <laughs> uh, I think well, I, provided my watch list. Uh, I provided a nice checks and balances system for you there. Yeah, I almost took a flyer on it. But, you know, I mean, I don't think I would have bought, but it was pretty darn close. Pretty darn so close. About the, I think uh, uh, that this is, that's another example of the, the old cliche of don't buy something until it's been public for a couple of years is is true. Like, you know, that's and you always think your company, no matter who you are, or what company it is, you always think your company is going to be the outlier. And it really yeah. is. It's, it is good to have like some strict principles in investing. Dude, probably uh, the only balance. reason, probably the only way that reason or not reason thing that saved me from losing money in latch. So yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm going to stick with that rule. Uh, the Patagonia errors. That was interesting as well. We all like Patagonia. I saw some commentary from the CEO, I guess for context, I don't want to botch this, but the CEO basically gave the company away to charity. Am I getting that right? Essentially $3 billion company. He gave away, yes. And I think, well, he gave away his stake, his, his family stake, and I think it was essentially the whole thing. So, yeah. This is what he said. He, this, the Patagonia CEO said, I don't respect the stock market at all. Once you're public, you've lost control over the company and you have to maximize profits for the shareholder. And then you become one of these irresponsible companies. Um, right. Wait, or, say, say, that, say that quote again. You said it a little I, fast. I don't respect the stock market at all, he said. Once you're public, you've lost control over the company and you have to maximize profits for the shareholder. And then you become one of these irresponsible companies. I kind of agree. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think 
and we're stock market investors. So you might say, what? He's insulting, you know, you, but the analyst community is pretty toxic for building long-term stakeholder value because and I see, I just read an investing conference today where someone was like, like the, the company, the, the CFO was saying, well, gross margin should climb higher and there. And then like the analyst three times just kept repeating, well, what is it going to be next year? They're like, give me a number of what the it's going to be. And he's like, I don't know, but it's going to go higher over time. And I think that's kind of another way of saying, you know, the, the analysts are focused on the short termism. Good comment here from Matt. Wonder if the CEO knows ESG is a scam. I think we need a clarification there. ESG is not a scam if you're doing something like he just did. However, ESG investing for high fees is where I think, you know, Ryan and I would agree is, is a scam. There's kind of a fine line there, right? Charging high fees. Three, I think there's three reasons you include ESG in your company in some way. Either you generate fees on it, i.e. the investment banks or investors who are selling out ESG funds. You lower your cost of capital, which is what most of the companies do, which yeah, shout out really the, public, it is your fiduciary obligation to do so. The, frankly, green, the, the green bonds, getting those cheaper rates. I love the green bonds. Yeah, Or because you genuinely care about the principles and you're actually backing it up with some something substantive. I just find it hilarious that companies who clearly, although they may be beneficial to society, companies that clearly don't benefit the environment have ESG reports. And it's, oh. not, about, it's not about your impact. It's about your improvement. Yeah, the uh, I um, there was a funny joke from someone on Twitter that did like when I get it was like when I get to your ESG section of your annual report, and it was the fifty cent laughing in the car and then driving away, uh, GIF. Yeah, that is exactly I I, I find that hilarious because that is exactly what uh, I do because as an investor. Frankly, I could care less about your ESG initiatives, especially if you're a software company. Um, or what do we see the other day recently with our Ubisoft, a gaming company? Um, and so, for the people that are that think Brett's just some anti-Earth, anti-innovation, I'm a yeah, I'm a um, big, he's, I'm a, a big guy. guy. I uh, I am a bigger. Uh, that's, I guess, a good way to describe it. Yeah, we got to get another good copy here. You know, companies that have a solar company that uses truckloads of coal to create the panels, onshore wind that isn't remotely efficient. As long as the end result looks good, you're in the ESG club, even if you use Uyghur labor over in China. Yeah, I mean, there is the brand value to that. I think this Patagonia guy is probably walking the walk. From what I've read about him, I don't know him perfectly, but a lot of the companies, yes. Like I, I wouldn't describe. You're still ESG. selling hundred dollar sweaters. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know they have. Uh, yeah, I mean, but not maybe there's maybe no, there's, no. It's not. It's not about his company being ESG because I think they do. I think they do some really good stuff. From what I remember, I don't know the company that well. 
yeah. but it, he the specific the specific thing you know obviously is good but there's a lot of companies that brand themselves as ESG like this comment said that is not like it's just such a that part of the scam it doesn't mean ESG itself is a scam but so much of what brands itself as ESG is just a complete scam right now which 100%. honestly is is so frustrating this episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense. Stream is an expert interview transcript library with more than 10,000 interviews spanning across all industries, including tech, media, consumer goods, and plenty more. Not to mention 70% of these experts can be found only exclusively on Stream. Thanks to many of the interviews that I've read on Stream, I feel like I've gained a much more intimate understanding of the companies that I cover. And at this point, it has become an integral piece of my research process. So if you want to check out some of their transcripts for yourself, you can go to streamrg.co slash CCM and sign up for a free 14-day trial using the promo code CCM. Again, that's streamrg.co slash CCM, S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G dot C-O slash CCM. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah, I started reading a book this week. I'm blanking on the name, but I think it's called the it's like the way the world works or something like that. And it's basically uh Yep, I read it. The uh yeah. yeah. About because the, he's the, a bit the, I think I mentioned sources? Yeah, I think I mentioned it. He's a bit uh what do you think of this author? He's a bit um uh, he's cynical. a bit yeah, he's a bit condescending, but he seems really smart from what I, I read. Think- It'd be hard not to be condescending or cynical. In I mean, yeah, it definitely comes out in his writing, but to be He's a bit of a hater, as I would like, I think that's a good way to describe it too. But it's yeah. good. There's a lot of good facts in there. Yeah. I think he probably has to listen to misinformation and ESG crap on a regular basis. That's just not reality. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if you're listening to that all day, maybe you become a little um, frustrated and angered and annoyed. What company is the true, should be the true poster boy for ESG? What company actually benefits or implements good? Let's focus on, let's focus on the E and not the S and G. Right. I mean, governance is... There's some good ones out there, but no one cares about the G. Honestly, well, they should. They should. I think they should. Social, social. I don't know anything about social stuff. I kind of just ignore that in my life. Uh, Sorry, but it's just um, just a shorter way to say (laughs) environmentally. Climate change. Yeah, it's. uh, I mean, oh, what's that nuclear company that went public? New Scale Power. I think that's a public. Let me just confirm. This is not a stock recommendation because I have no idea about the company. But Newsdale Power, you know, they're trying to get uh, nuclear back. I don't know. That seems like a good one. That's doing my really advice. Is. 
to the nuclear industry is to rebrand yourself, be it, be the exact same thing, but just put a new name on it because people cringe at the, the word nuclear, frankly. And then it's like this reluctance among people to adopt it as an energy source, I feel like, or to put money or resources into it. Yeah, it's going to be tough, though. It's pretty high. Uh, that brand, you know, the brands and the brands and power, new power. No, elemental power. I've heard a lot of stuff. Elemental power, atomic power. Elemental. I think that branding would do all right. Yeah, I think I stole that from someone I saw online. Um, Because that's really what it is. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, a nuclear company is good. I used, I mean, the solar companies are interesting because it's just the input costs are so like car, carbon intensive. So it's a bit defeating in the purpose and you have to use so much land. What did you think of the Nintendo Direct this week? Pretty standard, pretty standard, not, not no, no real surprises there. There's been a lot of video game showcases. The I think this, I guess, this is just the time period for doing that. Um, thought it was fine. The the more interesting thing made uh, maybe the fact that the Splatoon three game, uh, this new kind of a newish brand from Nintendo, from I think the first game was 2015. The third game in the series just came out and broke records in Japan for sales. So. I don't know. It's one of the best Can new you brands. Describe in all. what the point of that game is. Well, it's just shooter game for kids because it's like paint. You're shooting with paint. It's like almost paintball, and it's like four on four or whatever it would be with you know a lot of the shooter style stuff, style stuff that works really well. Except it's more animation and it's more you know it's like paintball almost, but it's paint. Um, it's not paintballs. It's like shooting liquid. Um, I don't know. There's probably more backstory to the whole universe, but extremely popular game that has really grown in popularity the last, you know, since it started in 2015, I guess it rode the momentum of the switch. And it's interesting to see a new franchise take hold like that. Um, Personally, don't think Nintendo gets the respect it deserves for building brands like that. Uh, We are shareholders. Yeah. uh, To be, yeah, to be honest, we know as well because we are shareholders, but, (laughs) <laughs> the and it's gotten know, less it's less share of what it, it's gotten less credit over recent uh recent years as well as as evidenced by the performance over the last stock two years yeah. yeah over the last two years with the stock down the i mean the direct is fine it seems like they're you know just biding their time until the new one comes out till the new mario kart comes out that's kind of what I think. They have the new Zelda game, which we already knew was going to sell 20 to 30 million copies. That's not really a big surprise. Um, I mean, yeah, the big thing is just waiting for the new Mario. Well, I guess there's the Mario movie, but that's different than the direct. From a game's perspective, I honestly think waiting till Mario Kart 9. It's similar to Take-Two Interactive, where they're waiting. you're waiting for GTA 6. Nintendo's a bit different because it has the hardware take rate on all the games sold on this platform. But I, I, I kind of think that the big, you know, event you're waiting for is the new Mario Kart and the new the new console. Um 
Yeah. But they keep putting out, you know, solid amount of games. Wouldn't be surprised. It's almost always first party. Although we are studying someone who has succeeded in third party games, uh, probably the most successfully on the Switch outside of Minecraft, which just such a juggernaut. But uh, Capcom, with its Monster Hunter series, has done extremely well on uh, the Switch. And we're studying them for the not so deep dive next week. Uh, yeah, to that, continue the gaming theme. That's another that is a series. That is a series. I do not understand. Like, I, I, I understand, it, but I don't understand how it does so well. I well, don't. I'm uh, not the target audience, I suppose. I think they're hunting monsters. No, I, I know how the game works. I just don't see. I've watched like videos on that series. So I'm just not. I don't get the excitement to play it. Yeah. Well. But uh, other developments, Swedish match. The saga continues between them and Philip Morris. Yeah, less people, more hedge funds are taking uh, stakes, huh? So maybe Do you the remember deal the is- terms? Do you remember how many shareholders, what percentage of shareholder approval they had to get? They were looking for 90%, but I think they lowered it to 50%. I haven't followed it closely since uh, we sold. I'm surprised they didn't mention us as the 0. 0.0002% shareholder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's got to... We were yeah. outraged. <laughs> we were, uh, you know, for the Swedish match shareholders that are sticking around, I really hope you get a better deal um, because I think you deserve it. Um, it's a bit of a tough situation because it's weird. Like we were validated that we were correct on the thesis, but we're not going to make as much money as we thought we could. It's just a bit weird. Yeah, I, I think I'd rather take the money. Well, yeah, obviously. But the it, it's like with this situation, you don't you don't know. There's just so much uncertainty and it all comes down like to if you're one of the funds that can control it, but if you're not you're betting it's a bit of a I wouldn't say a coin flip, but kind of a coin flip where it, it just could be dead money at this, the the current price. Or something happens and it bumps up to 120, 130, something like that. Um, we'll see, though. It shocks me. Why? Never mind. I was going to say it surprises me on a day that when Adobe makes that bid for Figma, Autodesk trades down. I would um, think people flock from Adobe to Autodesk. Seeing oh, in, parallel inve- investors would. Yeah, yeah. I think it kind of to me. I know there's a lot of Adobe lovers out there, and the stock has been an absolute. I don't know, thousand bagger since the '80s. I think that's correct. So obviously, a great company, but I kind of think it's. This spending $20 billion on Figma indicates to me that the moat may have been slightly weaker than people thought. Why else spend the money? Well, now it's better. But you had to spend $20 billion. Now, 
maybe Autodesk is going to spend the same amount on a company, but I just don't see the same sort of threat to that business. Um, so I, 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 I think uh, it might be a right because you have to feel threatened if you buy a company at that sort of price. Yeah. At that multiple. And I think that little bit from the article that Microsoft was considering switching from Adobe. That's a big customer. Yeah. True. Microsoft should just buy Adobe now. <laughs> uh, okay. So was Adobe really, there's no way to Adobe all time stock chart. I think it's a thousand bagger. But I believe so. I don't want Adobe stock photos. Uh, let me just pull it up on Coifin real quick. Free advertisement. Yeah, hundred twenty-eight thousand percent. Oh my gosh! Wow. I think that's a ten thousand beggar. Yeah, right. I mean, it's. Here's your question for the episode. <laughs> what do you think's the next ten thousand beggar? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking for a uh, hundred beggars. Hundred beggars are easy. I'm looking for ten thousand beggars. Ten thousand beggar. Let's say you had to. You had to put your marbles in one basket for a 10,000 beggar. Uh, okay. You don't have to put all your money in, but let's, what company, obviously this, this isn't just like a fluke of one product doing well. This is like a culture of what uh, it has been strong capital allocation. I mean, a mono- it's been a monopoly. Yeah. Not really. Is not there sure. any company that you, if you had to go galaxy brain and extrapolate out, you could see uh, and you, just, you were you were held, holding blindly for 40 years. Watch. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, it has to be small, though. So. Maybe I would say I'm just looking at my watch list, so. You know, you can call me crazy, but. This one was hyped up a lot. It turned into a bubble stock. In late 2021, but Matterport. They're trying to map the world. That's an interesting one. Training at a billion dollar market cap right now. So I think there's that potential. But if it's a 10,000 beggar, you know, probably going to have to be at least a few trillion dollars in market cap. Um, So I don't know. Maybe that. uh, What about Ethereum after the merge? Yeah. Well, what's Ethereum's market cap right now? Like a a 500 billion? I mean, 10,000 beggars just out of the question if we're it's harder to do it's much easier to do something that's already fairly large that has a decent you know and we'll hit that 10 potentially hit that ten thousand beggar but i think it's just extremely swedish match rest in peace that let's look at what they were all time let's pull up the chart yeah. what's the greatest performing stock of all time do you know i think it's Probably Microsoft, I would guess. I would guess it's Microsoft or Berkshire or Apple. Just a, just a hunch, though. <laughs> uh, Swedish match, 11,000 since the 90s. I think that's when it got recapitalized. Don't remember exactly. So not bad, although it's ending. Ber- it might be Berkshire. Since that's been publicly traded for a long time, and then you kind of just hopped on the Buffett bandwagon in the '60s. True. 
It would be great. It would have been so cool to be a Berkshire shareholder pre-Buffett and hold through like blindly. You didn't know like what happened. Oh yeah. But if you were, it'd actually be better to be a blind shareholder than follow closely because if you follow closely, the stock would have done terrible in the early 70s and you had no idea what he was doing. He didn't start publishing the letters till I believe sometime in the 70s and the stock did terrible. Yeah, I don't know. Like you would have had no information on them and you would have seen like what they were trying to do with the um, all the com- remember the complicated organizational structure. I feel like a lot of people would have sold. God, it's interesting to me that I looked up best performing stock of all time. There's no there is no one answer that I can. There's not a uniform answer across all these different websites. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, most of those are wrong. Yeah. Hard to so, track a lot of these. I think a, right. good re- a good resource on that, though, is that 100 Beggars book by Chris Meyer or Mayer. forget how to say his name, but that has a, that had a lot of good information on the best performing stocks of all time. And even though the some value investor, whatever, if you're that type of bench, you might scoff at that title. It is a fantastic book with a lot of good data in it. It's not just magical 100 beggars. It's the formula for existing case studies and what makes a stock a 100 beggar. If you're listening to this ad right now, we know you're already a listener to our show. But for our avid listeners, we've also started a paid membership service called Chit Chat Money Plus that extends beyond just our podcast. Every Tuesday, subscribers get access to one not-so-deep-dive research episode that covers everything you need to know about a company. You also get an email newsletter with our written show notes, important charts, a transcript of each show, and access to our Chit Chat Money research files. Chit Chat Money Plus costs $5 a month. You can subscribe directly through Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or if you listen on another platform, click the link in the show notes to go through the simple steps of signing up. If you're a regular listener to the show, we think the membership will provide tons of additional value. On top of the stock research episodes, members will get one Arch Capital Fund episode a month where we outline why we bought, sold, or continue to hold a stock in the Arch Capital Investment Fund, along with shows on our broader investment strategy. Sign up and become a Chit Chat Money Plus subscriber today. We can't wait for you to join our community. Best 30 of the last 30 years. Can you guess the number one? Monster Energy. No, Apple. Uh, 30 years. Okay. That makes sense. The nineties. Yeah. See that stuff about monster being, uh, initially introduced like after nine 11 to help, to help, uh, those in the armed services, like keep enough energy to like fight wars. <laughs> I don't, I'm pretty sure it's like <laughs> that. That was the actual it wasn't like some, I hope I'm not getting scammed by some random piece of Twitter data, but uh, I'm pretty sure that's actually what the uh, rationale was for starting it. That's good. That's healthier than the uh, cocaine and meth they used to feed the Nazi soldiers. So we're taking, you know, a little better step forward. Probably a bit, probably a bit better. <laughs> Although whenever I see someone drinking a monster, I do not think, and this might be ironic. I do not think high energy. Sorry if you're a monster drinker, but doesn't that right? Or am I just stereotyping the people that drink monster energy? What do you think? I think low energy when I see someone drinking a monster. You think needs energy? Yeah, maybe that's why they're drinking it, but 
I would think that they would already have it. Maybe that's like a, I've ne- that that might be mean that, that I don't think it's as mean as I've never seen whatever the the famous uh, Trump tweet that I've never seen a skinny person drinking Diet Coke all timer of just ridiculous take. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of thought of that, like you know, you see someone drinking a monster or energy drinks in general, and you always think, man, that person's person's tired, but it's probably why they're getting the energy drink layoffs at twilio more news oh that was did you see oh go ahead you you tell the story of uh twilio apparently announced plans to cut 11 percent of its staff um twilions sorry there was yeah yeah i did see that they referred to him as twilions i lawrence hamtel said imagine getting laid off by a letter (laughs) referring to you as a twilion yeah that wouldn't feel great there is so much just like tone deafness out of tech. <laughs> out of they the CEOs. They do yeah. not know how to do a layoff properly. First off, no one's, I don't think anyone's gotten it right. I don't know if there is a right way to do it. No, don't block post like, it. Don't, you don't, don't, you don't pull the, what is it, Lord Farquaad from Shrek, where it's like, yeah, this is, I'm many, a, somebody, many of yeah, you will yeah. die, but it's a risk I'm willing to take. It's kind of like that. I didn't want to have to fire you, but it's come to this, unfortunately for me. Honestly, don't bring it up unless someone asks about it on a conference call. And then you can say, we're not hiring people. I, I mean, maybe there's some stuff that's like has to be for an 8K that you have to release. But unless you have to release an 8K or an SEC filing, I would say just keep it quiet because they never, or keep it internal. I mean, maybe, you know, a large company stuff will leak, but. You know who I think did it well? Honestly, Dropbox. Dropbox, they did it at literally while adoption was high for their product. Like during COVID, a lot of companies were, uh, they had a little bit of an increase in terms of adoption. And they got Uh, rid of their real estate, right? So they didn't need some of those in office workers janitors yeah, they and stuff said, like that. we're going we're going remote and just we don't think we we require the as large of a staff anymore sorry you'll get good benefits yeah i know they i the, the, when they give out the excuses of uh why they're firing them people and it's not like it should just be the reason which is almost always we don't need you anymore just say that um and then go from there yeah, I don't. <laughs> no matter what, you don't say we are right-sizing our cost structure. I thought I had a good meme the other day or yesterday that I don't know if you saw uh, that. Yeah, I saw, I saw it. I thought that was going to get more likes than it did. but <laughs> <laughs> He literally opens the letter with Twilion's comma. Over the years, we've made lots of changes to the way Twilio operates. Dude, just, oh. yeah. All right, all right. There's more on this type of, actually, it's sort of, well, I have something else that is really, I don't know if it's interesting or nefarious, but besides that, I saw that Google was getting rid of or totally downsizing its, God, let me find that tweet. Experimental okay. departments, I guess. Yeah, what's it called? Because then people can look it up if they're interested. Uh, come on, Walter Bloomberg. Where Google are you? Shots or something like that. 
Nope, let me find it. Let me find it. Did I not like that? Yeah, that was yesterday. All right. Let me find it on the old internet. Google one. Oh, Area 120. Oh. They are canceling half its projects. And Area 120 is the place where they would do like the 20% thing, you know? Where like 20% of the time you're working on whatever you want. Um, thoughts on that and companies in general kind of doing this, buckling down on maybe worker efficiency. Does it kind of show a weakness or do you think it's good? Because I kind of think it might show weakness in, I don't know, a bit, you know what I mean? But it might be good because it may, it may be companies were kind of taking it easy with the, the bull market demand for some of the products and Google could be less efficient and still look good to shareholders, but now they can maybe uh, become more efficient over the long run. If you were an employee at, uh, let's say, one of these big tech companies, do you think you would be <laughs> more motivated to work when things are going really well, you see your stock price continue to shoot up day after day, and you feel like, and you're being, let's say, let's say you're taking stock options as part of your uh, compensation. Most people are. And so you feel like, wow, I'm really actually helping. Do you think you'd be more motivated then? Or do you think you'd be more motivated after you saw 15% of your friends get fired? Uh, that could be me if I don't step yeah. on it. Yeah, I think layoffs can be a good motivator for the people that are still around. <laughs> I, I, would be, like, I would be, I would be, like I'm sure, but I would, no, I'm thinking if I was not, not the manager, if I was the, the worker, I would be motivated for sure uh, to work a little bit harder. Now, more if you're at one of those giant tech bull market, more no, motivated no. than during the bull market. I think so. Yeah. And the bull market, bull markets or when, I mean, when you're fat and happy, you get lazy. It's just how things go. It's a cycle. Existentialism yep. brings out the best in people. Yeah. Or the hardest workers, you know, maybe that's not the best in them, but the hardest workers for uh, hitting their earnings targets. Um, Cause I know we had the investor hat on. Hey, yeah, I think, I think it's a good thing in the long run. It honestly, if you're kind of a short-term analyst, it might be kind of a red flag just for obviously layoffs are huge red flag. If it's like a huge, if it's a 10% plus of a workforce, uh, but for the long term, I think it can be beneficial these time periods. We've seen it with Airbnb who had that. Uh, they were one of the total, you know, during the, the beginning of the, the pandemic, they had the just terrible, terrible stop in demand. And I know Chesky won't stop talking about the story, but the uh, they basically had to stop all spending, stop all expenses, lay off a bunch of people. And they realized that there was a lot of expenses they didn't need a lot of search marketing they didn't need and it's helped them with their margins a ton. Um, so I think that could be very helpful for some other companies if they go through something maybe a little bit less stressful than seeing all of your demand to go to zero overnight. But do you see, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I do think Chesky's maybe talked one too many times about cutting the marketing budget to zero, but it's a good story. I don't think every company has, the uh, 
the brand for that? The ability to do that with their brand. I think Airbnb probably gets a lot of organic searches. Uh, but I'm I'm just like reading through the rest of this Twilio letter. And did you see this? It says in bold, am I impacted? In the US, comma, impacted Twilions will get an email within the next 60 minutes letting them know whether or not their role has been impacted. Could you imagine just waiting there for the next hour, just staring, <laughs> refreshing uh, your email inbox? What, yeah. what a horrible way to do that. I know. You got to... Like sitting yeah. next to your friends, you hear like the, the chime from the email. Ugh. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's never a good way to do it. Never a good way to do it. What about this? Let me find it from Coinbase. Did you see this from Coinbase? You might have not because their CEO does threads every day, it seems like. Okay. All right. Here's something that seems benign, but feels extremely manipulative to me. I'm not going to read the whole thread, just the first tweet. Starting today, and this is the Coinbase CEO, Brian Armstrong. I saw this. Starting today, Coinbase will begin begin integrating our crypto policy efforts right into our app. These will help our 103 million verified users get educated on the crypto positions held by political leaders where they live. Isn't that... Call me crazy. That's a total scumbag move. Call me crazy. Why do you think it's a scumbag move? You're not letting people form uh, like opinions with unbiased information. The information Coinbase is presenting to you is clearly what they're trying to lobby to these representatives to get coin to get crypto regulation in their favor. I mean, is it illegal? No, but it feels a bit. I think if they would have done this a year ago, it would have been maybe a little more impactful. I still think it could be impactful, but like maybe. I mean, does it matter because all this stuff is just magic beans, whatever? But the I, I still think it's kind of manipulative because we could see a lot more representatives think, "Oh, wow, a lot of my constituents really like this stuff." I just don't want to. I, it's probably I why feel, they did it. Oh, it's I know exactly. Yeah, it's exactly why they, exactly why Coinbase did this is to get people to get on their side. But I just don't, it just doesn't seem like, it's kind of, let me see if it's an example here. It's like if. If for anyone uh, that doesn't know, do you want to maybe give a little clearer of a picture about what exactly this is? Yeah, it's it's what the tweet said. I mean, I'll I'll repeat it kind of. It's just telling them in the, through the app, what. Coinbase's policy efforts are for, I don't know, United States regulation. So yeah. they're going to tell the all their 103 million users, um, which I guess were counted as users probably because we've had registered accounts. So I don't know how many of those are active, but uh, what positions are held by the political leaders and giving them basically direct contact to say your representative in this California county. And it gives them a crypto sentiment score. Oh, really? They give them the score. I didn't see that. So, uh, you know, the the Democrat for your state, let's say, has a bad crypto score, has a bad crypto sentiment score. You're not going to want to vote for him. That's that's Uh, the gist of what's going on here, frankly. 
that's even worse. That part's even worse. The I think it's very nice. Let's see the quote tweets. I think it's pretty. I, I honestly think it's really, really poor taste. It's like okay, here's the example I was trying to say. It's like if Amazon, through their app or website, kept nudging people about their policy efforts about antitrust for their online marketplace. <laughs> How much? That's just not. It's just not. No one with any ethics would do that. No, I think it's really dumb. It's a bummer. <laughs> it's a bummer that so much time it's we talk bad. about it. We talk about it. So much time, effort, money, resources are spent on absolute, unequivocal BS. It's a shame. I think Buco Capital had the best quote tweet for it. He says, weaponizing your user base to apply political pressure for regulatory capture is so on brand for Brian Armstrong and crypto, but it doesn't make it any less dumb. That is true. That I agree wholeheartedly. Um, also, if you're, well, I don't think you should vote purely based on uh, your representative's crypto sentiment score. Just for <laughs> What I are would. your what are your I'm, take I'm on giving advice? <laughs> I was gonna vote for blank, but I wanted to hear his take on magic beans. <laughs> What's his take on the Ethereum? But merge? he doesn't own enough Dogecoin for me to uh, feel compelled to to vote for him. Yeah, it's uh, uh, a pity, really. Have you been looking at as a little tease for next week? Have you looked at Capcom yet? We're recording tomorrow, so a little bit. I've been uh I kinda like with the video game companies, I like to go through YouTube videos of all the video game franchises that they own. Yeah. And there's always a grasp on like what the video games what the gameplay actually looks like and sort of the plot and stuff like that. It's uh I don't know, it's I guess it's fascinating, but I, I wasn't really enamored by any of the IP. Yeah, it's not. I was like a ga- I'm from a gamer's perspective. I'm not really much of a gamer, but I wasn't that excited to play any of the games. Yeah. What what'd you think? Management seems strong, but yeah. I liked what management had to say. There you just tell reading their shareholder letter that it, I don't know, founder's been there for 38 years. It seemed like the culture is strong, but yeah, the don't want to spoil our takes, but Brands aren't. Eh, they're just. I was just kind of like, eh, eh. But their execution has been strong on a long-term, you know, time horizon. So hard to tell. They're, you know, they're like, they're Japanese, um, and like Nintendo, a little bit more slower moving. They're more patient, so it's kind of hard to get a read on them. But yeah, pretty interesting though. Good one to study. All right, I got, think what 13 minutes left. Yeah. Uh, speaking of gaming, and then I'm just going to use this as an example for just the strategy as a whole. EA Electronic Arts is making The Sims 4 free to play um, starting October 18th. Now, that doesn't mean in game purchases are free, but anyone can download it. What do you think of the move and that tortoise sort of strategy in general? 
is making Sims free to play. Sorry, I was the, a little distracted. The Sims 4 free to play. I'm not familiar with the Sims brand, honestly. Like I don't I don't know uh the game that well. And you're a shareholder? Yeah, I mean it's they don't talk about it very often, but it's actually yeah, been really it's been really strong. It's a billion dollar bookings brand. Um I think it, whenever I see this, I kind of think it's a company or it's a franchise. Whenever they're able to go free to play, it's an indicator to me that they're coming from a position of strength. Yeah, I mean, it's basically what Second Life is essentially. Uh, I don't know what That's your. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why everyone uses Second Life as an example because that what like, but yes, Sims. I mean, kinda. It's just like, yeah, yeah virtual person. You can you know meet people, talk about the metaverse, really what it is um what's it been historically what like 60 dollars to play i think at launch yeah but it's fairly old uh and they've had a lot of add-on content so it was down to like those discounted 20 dollars range but now they're making it free to play uh for everyone across all the systems and pc um what do you think about this after studying xbox which again another tease came out this week for CCM Plus subscribers, we did a whole show on Xbox. Are, do you think, it seems like supply chains for the consoles are making the game industry, and I know mobile is such a large part, but it, it's really under, I think that's really the reason the game industry is down this year is because of the supply chain issues, because it seems like people would be buying many more consoles especially last holiday season either ps5s or whatever they're calling the new xbox then they have given historical numbers i mean yeah you can't get you cannot get one at a store and that i think that's got i mean it sounds obvious but that has to be impacting uh software demand or you know the actual games demand yeah, I think it's a little more muted than it would have been last console cycle because backwards compatibility is more prominent with a lot of the software as opposed to like discs. Fair. Uh, yeah, but yeah. So but there's yeah. still a lot of household, I, but I think there's probably less people being introduced to the ecosystem than there would be. I think. Right now, it's probably a lot of upgrades. So people that would have bought the games anyways, whereas the the incremental sales of like the new customers being introduced to the ecosystem, I think a lot of those probably come from in-store sales, which are non-existent. Oh, of the in-store like sales of the, of the hardware? Yeah. Yeah, because you're not the one waiting for the drop online and, oh, we're going to get this right at this time. When it, when it comes, we're going to rush to my computer. Yeah. And I think I honestly think people are putting up buying games until they get this new console. But Probably. that might be speaking optimistically as No, I think it's right. Why pay for the game with slightly lower graphic quality if you're gonna get it anyways six months later and have yeah. it be much better so you don't have to repay sixty bucks again? I think that's probably still right. I think yeah. This holiday season will be a big event. The Black Friday through holiday season. Or not just event. It'll just be a big time. I think a big time period for hardware sales for these 
consoles, it'll kind of show like, are we in almost a permanent state of undersupply or are we going to finally fix the semiconductor shortage? Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Could be interesting. We, I think maybe some of the gaming earnings, Xbox, whoever, PlayStation, and then some of the publishers could be under, people could be underestimating them if console uh, shortages abate. What do you think about that thesis? I know we don't invest with that short-term time horizon, but what do you think? Sorry, repeat the question. I just saw that uh, Bear Cave had a, a Coinbase short report. Oh, what? Yeah, they're going to lose all their users. All right. That's, uh, yeah, that'll be a fun read, though. Oh, it's pre- he does premium. Well, Might be I'm sure it is. Uh, all right. Yeah. Sorry, repeat the question. The uh, yeah, you're getting distracted on us. The yeah. uh, I gotta remember what I said. Okay, if the console shortage is abate, do you think uh, analysts or investors in general might be understating the earnings potential of some of the gaming companies, both hardware and software? <laughs> yeah, I think you kind of answered your own question with the question, but yeah. Well, it just seems like that's not priced in at all. Because the, I, I'm I think seeing, a lot of people are struggling to look past the next year, honestly. Well, I look at a lot of, yeah, that's true. I look at a lot of um, publishers or whoever, and they basically get a lot of them get the same sort of analyst estimates, like 5 to 10% revenue growth. And that's because recently it's kind of been muted especially if you're console heavy, but I don't know if we get a lot more consoles into people's hands, I think that could accelerate. It shocks me that the console business is flat over the last decade. Yeah. Some of that was timing. I, it should get much larger within the next few years, but, and I guess, I don't know. It depends what you classify cloud gaming as, but I think that could be a driver as well. Unless that's this whole other category. Logitech um, and Tencent just announced a partnership to develop a cloud gaming compatible handheld device. Not eh. probably going to be that meaningful, I would imagine, but that smells. I only know what you just told me. That smells like flop because we already have a cloud compatible gaming device, and that's called the smartphone. Like I, I really think the only right cloud. I think cloud is just going to be really prevalent on. No one's gonna. I don't think people are going to want to play with their controller being. If you can buy like a thirty dollar cloud compatible controller to play with Xbox on your smart TV, I think that is a better game oh, yeah. experience than just using your phone. Yeah, that is that that is the cloud opportunity and PC. That's what, that's what Logitech's doing. Is they're just oh oh they're really, oh. They're not building out like their own like. Gotcha, gotcha. It's not a full stack device. I believe it's just like cloud compatible device. A, a, a cloud, you mean controller? Yeah, it's just built. Oh, controller. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. So they, glorified, cross- they glorified it a little more than controller, but yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. That's interesting. Don't why, why partner with Tencent though? Everyone partners with Tencent. I think I for that's... like the software compatibility. I don't know. Apparently, they said Tencent Gaming, they needed their software for something. Gotcha. In China, you have to go through Tencent. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah. Interesting. It It was just one of those press releases that felt a little spammy, but whatever. Yeah, the uh, you realize, yeah, some some of the companies love to pump the press release. Um, all right, anything else? I mean, it's been busy gaming week. We already hit the FIGBA acquisition, but besides that, earnings season's kind of over. So, not much, not much else. I was listening to that gaming analyst that you mentioned, the guy that went on invest like the best. He talked about like finding gaming brands that are actually durable. He confirmed all our biases, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. But the uh, if you had to bet on one gaming brand to still be as popular, if not more popular, in ten to twenty years, let's go. Let's go. Let's go fifteen years. What brand do you think it would be? This is a great question. Fifteen years is probably the best. Yeah, that's a long enough. I would go. Either I'm just going kind of Lindy here. I'm going to exclude sports because that's cheating. Although that might tell you something, but I'll go Grand Theft Auto and Call of Duty. Just going with the juggernauts. Yeah. I'm third Dungeons and Dragons in there, but it's kind of well, that's, hybrid. That, that's like board, so it's I like wouldn't hybrid digital. That has a lot of that has a ton of staying power, yeah. League of Legends, I don't know that well. League of Legends is a bit new too, although it's done extremely well. What's your choice? Well, I think probably the sporting franchises would probably be the first ones I'd go with because the durability of the sports themselves. And they've just amassed enough scale that it's hard to like disrupt that but aside from that i think call of duty is gonna be yeah gta gta is more idiosyncratic than call of duty though Eh, it's like mario mario well you gotta say mario's more than i mean mario kart i think you'd have to go i think that's because that there's so many mario franchises sure let's go mario 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 kart mario karts that's got to be a good choice yeah, I think I might put that actually higher. I think I might put that higher. But Grand Theft Auto has yeah. been around for a long time. Grand Theft Auto. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Let, let me actually look it up. I don't, I don't know. When was the first GTA? Um, Take to acquired it like, I want to say in 2001. Well, uh, yeah, but I'm looking up when the first game was made. And that was in 1997. So the first game wasn't that successful, though. I know. I'm I'm aware. I'm just trying to look at how long the franchise has lasted. You know, 25 years it sounds like. And still relevant. How many games can you say? Let's see when the first Call of Duty was made. I mean Mario. I mean some of the Mario ones is kind of the most impressive. There. When was the first COD made? Can you guess earlier? Unless you've been looking it up. I have. Er, earlier, before, or after GTA, the first GTA. Give a guess. God, after. You're right. 2003. 
I don't know. It's that way. I would have guessed I won. Xbox really started, but PlayStation two came out. 2000, 2000 was, Xbox, 2001 to uh, PS two was really the, I mean, PS two outsold Xbox by a ton. Yeah. Best selling console of all time. Still, although the switch might beat it soon within all a right, couple of years, one o'clock Pacific time. That is, I think going to do it. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. Thanks Matt for the questions. Always appreciate having those. Uh, if you guys want to watch these live, as opposed to listening to them on the podcast, as always, I know I say this all the time, uh, look up Chit Chat Money on YouTube during on Thursdays at 3 o'clock Eastern time, and you can ask questions in the chat. We'll have, I think the live video is pinned on our profile typically. So go ahead, check it out. I'm going to hit a disclosure. Uh, Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you.